Hello everyone, it's episode 11 of AHP's Off The Record. My name is Enna. And my name is Jo. And today we have a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about a slightly lesser known AHP profession. We do indeed, and it's great as both of us have actually been really looking forward to discussing this particular profession, um, especially as it's not one that we regularly get to work with or experience ourselves. So today we're going to be chatting with music therapist Catherine Watkins. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Do you mind introducing yourself to everyone? Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for inviting me to speak with you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Catherine Watkins. I'm a uh, HCPC registered music therapist. Um, I work for Chilton Music Therapy um, in a clinical role as well as in a um, doing some non-clinical work as well within that team. Perfect. And actually, usually we do a little bit of a summary of what music therapy is. But Catherine, do you mind um, doing that this time round, if that's OK? Absolutely. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm happy to do that. We spend a lot of time explaining to people about what, what music therapy is. As you said, it's kind of one of the lesser well-known um, allied health professions. So really, music therapy is about the clinical and evidence-based use of music interventions um, by therapists to help people achieve a range of goals that might vary from psychosocial, cognitive, physical or communication goals. It is a um, recognised psychological intervention and our work is kind of focused on the therapeutic relationship being key, a key part of that. Um, and we work with a huge range of um, disabilities and ages, so from preterm babies to end-of-life work um, and any level of disability. So, so from working with individuals who may be minimally conscious um, to those in functional rehab, working with a fully articulate a fully articulate adult um, with mental health difficulties so it's a very broad um, discipline and also has a lot of overlap with some of the other allied health professional disciplines which is why it's so great when we get to work with people in a multidisciplinary team and setting. Awesome so let's move on to the questions. We've had some really interesting stories from people that we have interviewed up to this point of um, a lot of allied health professionals not intentionally going into their careers and just sort of walking into it in, in some um, unknown path. Um, it'd be really interesting to know how you became a music therapist. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really happy to talk to that. And I think um, I would say my path is is maybe unusual, but maybe it isn't in that people find their way to music therapy in lots of different ways. The traditional route may have been going and doing a music degree or going to music college and then going into music therapy and doing a music therapy master's, which is the way to train and get registered um, with the HCPC. Um, for me, music therapy is a second career. Um, so I actually uh, did chemistry at university <laughs> um, and um, worked in the pharmaceutical industry in clinical research. So running clinical trials of new drugs um, for about 15 years. Um, and during that time, I guess I kind of went back to the thought process that had been with me from a much earlier age from when I was doing my A-levels about doing music and music therapy. And so I decided to to find a way, and was there a way that I could become a music therapist? Um, so yeah, so that was the starting point. Um, and I guess it was a case of, 
I didn't have a music degree. I had a chemistry degree. So I phoned up all the course leaders, of which at the time there were only about six courses in the whole of the UK. And it's still not much more than that now. Um, and just said, hi, I've got a chemistry degree. How do I become a music therapist? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I also attended a, a one-day kind of introduction to music therapy training day at Nordoff Robbins in London, um, just to get a bit of insight. So really, as a music therapist, you need to have degree level performance capabilities and musical skills, but you don't actually have to have a music degree. You can get into a master's course with any any degree. And and these days also, um, if you haven't got a degree, but you've got that kind of musical skill and knowledge at a certain level, then you can still potentially potentially get in in that way. Um, so, yeah, so I, I looked at what musical qualifications I had and where my kind of performance and musical ability was. Um, and worked for a couple of years um, with private tuition um, to get that up to the standard that I felt I needed to go into the profession. Um, you also need a lot of kind of relevant experience and kind of that, I guess, aptitude to be a therapist and demonstrate, you know, that you've kind of got that that mindset. So, yeah, so I, I put those things in place and then managed to get a place on the only part-time course in the country, which was in um, Bristol at the University of West England. Um, and did three-year part-time masters and qualified in 2012. Wow! Or so, um, when you're applying for the course, presumably you have to do sort of interviews and things. But do you do you almost have to do auditions as well in terms of demonstrating your performance and your musical skills? Yes, absolutely. So, so there's a, a standard interview, I guess, that's kind of looking at your kind of well your ability to study at that level but also this kind of you know your aptitude as a as a psychological therapist and also your kind of mental robustness to be able to cope with that and to do the training but in terms of yeah musicality so um performance of two pieces um some improvisation in a group setting um and then also an individual improvisation I kind of like giving people this example just because they it kind of maybe blows their mind, but to sit mm -hmm. at either the piano or guitar, so with a harmonic instrument, and, um, you know, can you improvise for four or five minutes about your feelings and your journey here today and express in music where you're at at this moment in time or how your journey has been today and just sit there and do it? <laughs> no way. That so sounds you, hard. Yeah, it's very interesting because I think, you know, if you're a classically trained musician – I you know in my work I rarely sit there with a piece of musical score reading a piece of music and so it's all about that ability yes to draw on familiar music and and we do use familiar music and pre-recorded music a lot in our work but actually the skill is quite often in throwing away the piece of paper and being able to listen attune tune in to to the sounds and the music people are making and and create that musical relationship, that therapeutic relationship, and just go with what they what they offer. And that takes a high degree of musical skill, but not in the way that we're all used to being classically trained. And what is like what what is your like instruments? Is it singing or yeah? What do you do? Yeah, so um, my main instruments. So the the um, I guess what I have my highest level of musical qualification in is my voice. Um, so I did a, a vocal diploma, which is kind of above grade eight in vocal performance. And but then also you need to have at least one kind of harmonic instrument, really, at quite a high level. So I would say that's piano 
Um, I've taught, well, I've learned to play guitar during my training and ever since. I'm still pretty average, but use it most days. <laughs> it's much more portable <laughs> than a piano or a keyboard. Um, and then you become a jack of all trades as well. Percussion, all sorts of percussion instruments you might have never come across before. Wooden spoons on radiators. You know, music can be anything, actually. So I think, you know, tapping on the floor. Um, so I think, yes, you can, everyone has their kind of main instrument or main couple of instruments um, because of that kind of expectation that to, at the level at which you can work musically. Quite often what we're doing is, is finding simplicity in music, actually. That's kind of blown my mind a little bit. It's really, it's really cool. And actually, what have we done this time round in terms of the podcast? We've started asking our followers if they have any questions that we'd like to ask which, whatever profession we're interviewing. And one of the first questions we got was, what is the biggest misconception with music therapy? Um, that's a great question. I'm going to give you two answers. The first one <laughs> is that the reason to refer someone is because they love music. Mm. which is not a reason to refer someone really um, and the other misconception is that we come along sing and play at people and it's for entertainment and not much else or that people just li- so that people listen that it's a passive mm. experience um, and that I think people don't understand the depth of the therapeutic work but also the potential for kind of achieving goals um, kind of like a very minute level or a very you know robust kind of functional rehab type level um Mm. so yeah so I think people we spend a lot of time explaining what we do and even to our fellow AHPs um, and certainly in medical settings care homes you know there's just different perspectives on what music therapy is and means out there and and that's one of the challenges we face as a profession really yeah I can imagine I think in terms of of working in the NHS, you know, nowhere that I've worked have have we actually had access to a music therapist. And I think we try to incorporate, I work in in, um, neurology and we do try to incorporate sort of music within um within some of the some of the work that we're doing and and trying to, to help patients engage with it. But I just think there are so many situations where where having access to a music therapist could have been so valuable for the patients and sort of knowing how to actually tap into it in a way that that is productive and, and interesting or, or useful for patients. It would be so, so amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I, it's really interesting you say that because I think there are a couple of barriers. There's there's one about understanding and there's one about funding um, and and they kind of go together because if you understand what music therapy can achieve, the same as if you can understand what a physiotherapist can achieve, then it makes sense to think about funding it. And I think it's, you know, innovative teams or where we as an organisation have done pilots that have been funded by some kind of um, alternative route, be it a kind of trust foundation or, you know, a charitable route or, or someone who's just kind of taken our voice forwards at quite a high level to get some funding. Um, to get us, us in um, but yeah working on stroke wards and working in neurology I mean that's my specialism in particular and a lot of us at Chilton actually are, are NMT qualified which is an additional qualification in neurologic music therapy um, so yeah I mean I think there's there's so much that we can offer and in the absence of that actually for example at um, the Royal Derby Hospital um, several years ago now I went up there and worked with 
one of the occupational therapists who is really, really interested in music therapy, and we couldn't get any funding for a post, but we did get funding to deliver a training course. And I did a six-week training course, just two hours a week, for NEAHPs that are in the stroke stroke um, service and stroke wards and stroke units. So um, trying to upskill, you know, it, I think there's there's benefit in upskilling people as well as recognising that as an individual discipline, an individual therapist, you can do you can do you know over and above what someone who's kind of been given some additional skills can do. But yeah, so I think there's there's a world of information out there and a world of opportunities, but it's finding a way to tap into those. And I know you mentioned in your um, sort of misconceptions about music therapy that, um, you know, it's just for people who like music. But I'd be interested to know, do you find um, it easier to to sort of involve or engage patients who have had a previous experience with music or or um, do you find it quite easy to? Or, I mean, obviously, it depends on, on the patient and, and what they're experiencing at the time. But. Um, sort of from my very um, unknowing idea I'd imagine that it might be quite difficult to to help someone find it uh, you know find it useful or productive if they haven't had previous experience of or, or enjoyment of music. I might I'm going to throw that question back at you and say please do. do you use music do you like music do you engage with music in your day-to-day -day life regardless of whether you can play an instrument? Yeah <laughs> <laughs> if I tapped on the desk, you know, what would you do back? You'd probably repeat it. <laughs> yeah, that's, true. that's music therapy at, at its basic. And actually, I think, you know, we can work with work with all levels of I mean, musical ability is not a prerequisite on any level. So we might be working with a teenager. And the first thing we do um, is think about what music do they like? So we might sit there spending some time on, you know, whatever platform finding creating some playlists thinking about that you know maybe we we take something they know we strip out the words and we rewrite the words that have meaning for them if maybe we're working on kind of emotional mental health type issues and um, so that doesn't actually need anyone to touch a single instrument if they don't need or want to um, and our work is very client-led in that way so you know we might work with someone post-stroke just with breath sounds for instance you know everyone's everyone's breath has you know you can you can watch it you can nearly always hear it on some level and just kind of attuning to that so so where where you might do something really complex and and songwriting or you know if you had a classical pianist you were working with but that's just rare that's just so rare that you're working with someone with a high level of musical ability it's actually about working with anyone I mean if you think that you know we all use music before we use language in songs nursery rhymes interactions those kind of like that kind of communicative intent as a baby between a, a mother and child um so if you think of it in those terms then you know and the fact that we all tend to it's very rare to find someone that doesn't engage with music on some level in their life um so I know you've touched on it briefly at the beginning, but it'd be great to know just a bit about your current job role and um, what you do and, and sort of what area you work in, how you ended up there. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, yeah, so, well, I guess post-qualification, I did quite a bit of freelance work and worked for a couple of organisations. Music therapists quite often end up with quite a few bits of part-time work, certainly to start with. 
Um, and I did set up my own organisation um, focused on neuro work in the Midlands. Um, and then after a few years, decided that I wanted to be something part of something bigger. So I now work for Chiltern Music Therapy. Um, we're a not-for-profit social enterprise and have a combination of community musicians and music therapists. There's about 40 to 50 of us working across England. Um, so for me, I um, specialise, or I've done additional training as a neurologic music therapist. Um, so that's more focused on kind of functional neuro rehab goals um, and also some additional training in working with people with disorders of consciousness. Um, so there's a lot of kind of, it's very kind of specialist, I guess, niche piece of work, but um, there's some very specific sort of assessments that can be done alongside assessments such as SMART that you might be familiar with for people with low, in low awareness states. Um, so yeah, so that's that's what I do clinically. So my specialism is kind of child and adult acquired brain injury. Um, but my caseload certainly in the last month or so has included dementia, children with learning disabilities, stroke, cerebral palsy. Um, and then I also hold a kind of uh, leadership type role at Chiltern Music Therapy. Um, so at the minute we're kind of going through a, a kind of transition as an organization. Um, moving to something called a self-managing teams model. So we're kind of re reinventing ourselves um, to, to be an organisation where we kind of try and um, operate in small empowered teams that can kind of make their own decisions and do their own, their own job to their best of their ability without a lot of need for hierarchy. That said, I kind of have a leadership role within that at the minute um, in one of our kind of, kind of teams of people that are working together it's kind of a, a big journey for us that started pre-pandemic and is kind of <laughs> is still ongoing and will still be. And you mentioned earlier, obviously, um, with the additional courses that you've done, but then you, you touched on the fact that obviously you're having to have that high level of music ability, but then also the the therapist aspect of it. And how, how did you find that? Did that did that come quite naturally to you or is that kind of a lot of the, the courses geared towards that? Yeah, I think the courses, well, the different courses have slightly different kind of orientations in a way. Um, but yeah, the course is all about preparing you to, to be a therapist. You kind of, and yes, a music therapist, and you come with your musical skill, which is kind of then worked and moulded in this kind of improvisational model to be able to work in different ways. But yeah, that that being a therapist, being being. I mean, we're not trained as such to be a verbal therapist, but to use language as well as music, the therapeutic, psychological thinking, theory, principles is all part of the training, um, as is having to be in personal therapy yourself. So um, I, I can't remember the actual number of hours, but maybe even either 40 or 60 hours of personal therapy during three years training individually is, is an expectation for everyone who trains as a therapist. Um, and so you kind of experience the therapeutic process, but you also learn as a therapist, what is your stuff? <laughs> yeah. What is, what are your triggers? What, what you, you have to know yourself inside out as a therapist yeah. to then be able to be a therapist to other people in that sense. Um, and that's, that's really important in the psychological therapies. So, yeah. So I think by the time you've, you've been through the training, then definitely there'd be, yeah, they're looking at, all manner of skills but your your aptitude and ability as a therapist um as a psychological therapist as well as the kind of music aspect of that they're kind of pulled partnered together and also these days even more so the kind of science 
behind um, music, the brain, you know, how, how we evidence what we do, that side of things. Um, because I think once you understand a bit more about the science of, of music and the brain and what's going on, then you can articulate that in lots of different settings, particularly in medical settings, um, where there's an expectation of kind of evidence base and, and understanding those things and being able to explain how what you're doing might be working. Yeah, and actually you touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of the way that your your service is changing. It's been limited a little bit kind of by the, well, slowed down because of the pandemic. So actually we tend to ask all of our guests about how their job role has been affected or how their work has been affected by COVID. And also just a little bit about yourself personally and, and, and how you've managed to cope with that and your coping strategies, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I guess... As the pandemic began to hit, we kind of went from a situation of a couple of settings, say, or maybe we might not have you in, to basically within one or two weeks, um, probably the majority of our work, uh, majority of our contracts, and all our clinical work is, you know, face to face in lots and lots of different settings. Um, being, well, well, no, you can't come in. We can't can't do the work, <laughs> um, you know, and and so that kind of like going from one day being out working, de- delivering clinical work, and I'm sure it was the same for lots of people, although I know in, in you know, certain settings like hospitals, people, it was recognised that therapists are still needed, needed to be there. So, yeah, so we went straight into kind of a mode of trying to, well, pull ourselves together as a team of 40 to 50 people, um, um, A, to ensure we could survive as an organisation, but B, or maybe maybe it's the other way around, to kind of meet the needs of our clients and kind of, you know, if you're working in a, well, whatever kind of setting you're working in, but if you think of a psychological intervention, then suddenly to have that cut off in the middle of your work, you know, it's it's uh, the care and, and ability for us to reach our clients, the drive for that was so strong within the team and it was really, really difficult. Um, so yeah, it was a huge. It's been a huge journey, and I think we kind of um, transitioned and basically decided to innovate and put what we could do, what we could online. Um, so that might might be delivering live sessions online for those who could access who could access that, to writing home programs for people, pre-recording videos, pre-recording sessions. Yeah, all of those kind of we we did a whole load of resource packs that we could just give to say a care home to kind of try and work with um although as they were starting to not bring people together in groups within their setting it was kind of the whole thing has has been hugely challenging as I'm sure it has been for all allied health professionals um but yeah I would say currently we've kind of got you know a good proportion of our work is either being delivered online or is returning face to face we've still got some services on pause where we're unable to get into settings or run for example community groups who might have been running you know community groups I was running one here in um, Leicestershire for dementia sufferers and their carers, you know, all over 70 plus, um, all vulnerable, um, singing in a church hall where the church has banned singing. Um, You know, it's kind of like, where do you go with this? Although we did actually get a proportion of those guys online into a regular Zoom once a week, even, you know, with the technical technological challenges, I guess, that are additional when you're working with that age group. So, so yeah, so some settings we've been been in face to face, some are just returning, a lot we've been doing online, um, but, you know, I guess the profession has really had to look at that as a whole 
mm-hmm. um, since the pandemic hit. I think, you know, is music therapy online even a thing? Um, and actually, Chilton developed some training, um, digital music therapy training, which we delivered free initially to the first 200 people and then ran as a, as a, as a, as a training course people could subscribe to for a relatively small fee um, to try and upskill across the profession and across kind of, I guess it also blends into kind of music and health, music and arts practitioners who may not be music therapists, you know, where there was a big demand for that and not just within the UK and outside, you know, internationally as well. It's interesting because you were saying that obviously it's that kind of um, that that duty of care to to your patients Mm. and actually they were going and everyone's been going into into this pandemic which is one of the most toughest times psychologically where the irony is that they probably could have they would have really benefited from music therapy in this time because of all the uncertainty and everything so that that must have been quite difficult for you guys yeah absolutely and I think it's that you know with yeah that that being there for our clients uh, you know as for many you know many AHP disciplines if not all you know, it's kind of that, that kind of weekly therapeutic relationship that we would tend to have with the majority of the people we work with um, is really important. And I think, yeah, just feeling quite helpless um, in that setting to start with. Um, as an organisation, we kind of tried to consolidate. So people who were still working took on other people's caseload, which I know some disciplines are very used to kind of moving caseload around, but for us is quite uncommon as well. So kind of yeah, there were there were all sorts of challenges, um, and I think that idea of kind of coping with the unknown, you know, has been really hard as as therapists and and in personal lives as well. I guess it's kind of like the unknown. I think the amount of innovation that's come out of it has been huge, but there's still constant change. I would say, you know, I feel my my personal clinical caseload is still shifting like quicksand at the minute, and. Um, and that, that's a good thing because things are changing and, you know, we're getting new referrals as well as paused work coming back um, into face-to-face, um, online work shifting back into face-to-face. So it's kind of just, yeah, I think change is going to be here with us for, for a long time, um, but also so are some different and new opportunities. You know, there's a, a lot of need around mental health. There's not a lot of need potentially around um, COVID recovery um, and yeah I think we've identified that our skills are there potentially to be able to train others as well who aren't music therapists to 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 work therapeutically um with music in everyday settings as well be that family carers other professionals and I know you mentioned that there's been sort of efforts to, or you guys were doing um uh, training for sort of uh, delivering digital music therapy um you said oh you know is there is is online music therapy a thing I know some other professions, uh, for example, physio, um, you know, there's been questions as to whether actually we should be doing more virtual um, virtual appointments and, and that actually is, is just as effective in some cases and might help with the efficiency of clinics. Do you think that there might be a move towards, you know, having just generally more music therapy services available online or, or have you found that with the particular sort of psychotherapy aspect of things that actually it's just not, um, not the same as seeing people in person? I think looking forward to there will definitely be a blended model. I'm sure that's what we'll be kind of looking, you know, what we are looking at, even even now our current caseload really looks like that, a blended model um, of deliver, delivering sessions completely digitally 
completely face-to-face or something in between. Um, I think also this idea of kind of home programmes um, and then like a, a session either online or face-to-face, you know, at a less regular interval than we might have done before is a, is a thing. Um, and I think it's all, it boils down to what works for the client as well. So I think, you know, I know a colleague of mine has done, <laughs> has done an assessment with someone in a low awareness state remotely, and I think that's that's pretty challenging, um, but it's not impossible. <laughs> um, but, you know, depending on the client and the needs of the client, I think is about what we can now offer. Um, having seen that we can work digitally, though, I think our reach is now potentially greater than it was before because, you know, a lot of us, you know, we're scattered all over England, you get a referral for, for somewhere and it's, you know, two hours away from our nearest therapist. Instead of saying no, we can actually now say, well, we could offer you a digital session um, and this is what it might look like. Would that work for you? You know, can we, why don't we try out as a call on Teams or Zoom or whatever it might be? Um, you know, we could maybe do an assessment and then make some more recommendations. Yeah, that, that I, I do think it will be blended in some way and maybe it's, difficult to predict what that will look like in say five years time it's interesting how the pandemic has yeah uh, encouraged structural changes in so many different teams i think um we have another follow-up question for you um so the other one is what patient group would the public be most surprised that music therapists work with wow um (laughs) that's a good question most surprised I think I'm going to say about functional rehab. Maybe that's just because that's my familiar zone. But, uh, but you know, the fact that music therapists can come along and maybe play a guitar or a drum to help someone learn to walk or regulate their gait, um, I don't think people would put in a music therapy box. They might put singing in a box, helping people to sing or helping people to speak you know there's quite a bit in the media around people who can sing but can't speak or kind of you know communicative stuff so yeah so I think maybe some of that that um functional stuff I think people do get that music helps people express emotions so I think maybe that wouldn't surprise them either but I think yeah these kind of other aspects that's really interesting actually yeah, I'd love I'm going to see be that. grilling you with lots of questions after after we finish <laughs> recording. I think. Yeah, I can see Joe. Yeah. I can see Joe's brain just like going, and this is right up her street. <laughs> I'm getting more and more jealous as we talk. I know. I was just like, by the end of this, Joe is definitely going to try and be a music therapist. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go on to our recurring section. So this is the three fives. Um, So yeah, Joe, do you want to ask the first question? I will indeed. So when you qualified as a music therapist, where did you see yourself in five years time? Okay, so the five, oh, in five years, yeah. So there's one answer, but the five is the five years time this time. Okay, (laughs) I think, well, I think I really saw myself kind of, being so passionate that I wanted to run my own music therapy business and work in that neuro setting because I had exposure to that on placement as a student I was like this is me and it also fitted very well with my science background and I'd worked a lot in stroke prevention in the pharmaceutical industry so I kind of think that's where I thought I would be um, and I think that has 
evolved into the reality of actually coming from running my own organisation on a very small level to wanting to be part of something bigger and for that to feel more held and for me to feel bigger part of the team. Um, music therapy can be quite an isolating profession, actually, because there's so few of us. We're very scattered. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's that's where it's ended up. But I think running my own organisation and focused on, on neuro is definitely where I envisage going. And the next question within that is, if you weren't working in your current role or, or setting, so potentially if you weren't working in neuro, what other area would you want to work in? Um, I've, well, I've got two answers for that, if that's allowed. That's <laughs> definitely allowed. The, um, I feel really quite passionate about um, the work that music therapists do in hospice settings. Um, and I've never actually had the opportunity to work in a hospice setting. I've got an amazing colleague who works in a children's hospice here in Loughborough. Um, and I've uh, one of our um, uh, tutors at university um, had done loads of work in adult hospice. So we were exposed to quite a lot of that material during training. And I, I find that fascinating because so much of my brain injury work on a psychological basis is about loss. It's about a different type of loss, potentially, but it's about loss. And so I kind of, yeah, it kind of seems a bit strange when you talk to people about it, but I'm quite fascinated by that area of work and about loss. And, and trauma and adjustment and stuff like that so yeah I think it would also be an incredibly holding and held place to work with with lots of kind of very informed um other professionals and being part of an MDT is kind of what really ticks my boxes as well and the next question is five things that you didn't know about your profession before you started studying Okay, so I think I did manage to come up with five for these. So um, <laughs> I put the relevance of my, of my science and research background and how relevant that might be. I think I thought I needed to throw away everything I'd ever done in the pharmaceutical industry <laughs> and come and be a music therapist and that they were a poles apart when actually they're not. Um, I think the diversity of clients um, that music therapists work with is still kind of never ceases to amaze me the type of work people do and the different settings people work in um, from working with pre to you know with, working with um, unborn babies um, to working in prisons to you know all sorts of different work um, thirdly the role of tech um, and I would claim to be not massively tech savvy and yet I find myself using tech and music tech all the time with my clients now and that's not just because of the pandemic um, technology is really important, um, especially in engaging young people. Um, and we have to meet them, not go in with a kind of, you know, classical piano <laughs> and a guitar and expect <laughs> them to. So, so music tech is really, really important. It's also incredibly enabling for those most disabled that we work with. Um, the other two things are, I guess, maybe around some of the more challenging aspects of the profession, A, that you would constantly have to re-explain what you do and that some days you might think no one understands it. <laughs> and, mm. um, and also the face, facing the constant need and battle around funding. Um, and mm. I, I just wish there was something we could do to make that different because um, ourselves and the other creative arts therapists, so art and drama art and, and music, are the three HCPC registered um, art therapists. So I think you know, not just seeing us maybe in a CAMS mental health setting, but seeing us in a in a neuro 
rehab setting in a hospital or a stroke ward or you know all those all those kind of things a, a hospice um, a NICU you know that's that's kind of I wish we could we could do more there with this question this this second to last question Catherine you don't feel like you have to say five but if you do have five things it's five things you enjoy about your job yeah um I think um the people so that's the clients we work with and the colleagues that I work with um it's a very empathetic and understanding profession as it would be I guess but to the clients that we work with um I think finding the potential in people I think is kind of you know, we quite often get called because we're lesser known. We quite often get called in when people don't know what to do with whatever they've tried. Everything <laughs> we come in, and you know, session session one, you kind of find some way in, and people are just you. Sometimes, not all the time, you can blow people's minds, but also open their eyes to what someone with a severe level of disability um, can do and can achieve. And I think that's that's hugely important to me. Um, I guess the other things are, you know, the variety um, and finding the unexpected, kind of coming across the unexpected, finding a way to work with it. Um, and yeah, just working in that kind of, I get most out of my work when I'm in an NDT setting. Um, and I think that is such a nourishing environment that, um, yeah, it's, it's great to be part of. So our final question is what would you tell students or people thinking of becoming a music therapist, including myself? <laughs> no. I look forward to signposting you to the right place. Um, uh, what would I say? I would say, um, number one, look after yourself. Self-care is really, really important. I know we've all learned that even more during the pandemic. I think as a psychological therapy and the type of clients that we work with, it's really, really important. Um, the other end of the scale is follow your dream, because that's what I did. I kind of sat there with a, in a science job thinking, I wish I'd done, wish I'd done music A-level because I was told it wasn't, it wasn't a thing to do music and I'd better do a science subject. You know, and just so follow your dream, there will be a way. Um, don't let the system get you down. <laughs> have a brilliant supervisor <laughs> because clinical supervision is really really important to your practice and to helping you develop and learn and find you know find your way through not just the system but the different routes that that your career may take um and finally cheesy as it sounds because we're on an AHP podcast I would just say embrace your AHP colleagues <laughs> don't be afraid to kind of speak to every single one of them that you get the opportunity to meet learn from them and share your skills and um, then you'll you know you've got the potential to to fly as a music therapist and help people know more about what we actually do oh well thank you Catherine that's amazing really really enjoyed listening to everything you just had to say I said it earlier my mind is a bit blown I can tell Joe's mind is a bit blown yeah I think from from our point of view we want to do as much as we can to help promote the slightly smaller or lesser known HP professions because 
we can see the benefits that that you guys have and, and the potential um, if, if we had the availability of you guys in more of our settings. So yeah, for anyone who's listening to this, let's um, let's try and get some music therapists involved in, in more of our services. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's great to speak to you. And uh, yeah, as I say, people can contact me um, with any questions um, if they want to, they can find me. Um, contact details will be in the in the our episode description yeah absolutely so perfectly happy to hear from anyone either who's interested in training or who wants to find out how you can get music therapy in your setting because uh, that's what we do That is the end of episode 11 thank you so much for listening if you'd like to find out more about music therapy Catherine and the Children's Music Therapy Group then we'll put all of their social media details in our episode description we've got plenty of more episodes so please take a look and a listen and we'll have more for you in the next coming weeks thank you bye